Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. The Word of God gives us many examples of how to get things right by looking at those who got things wrong. And Jesus' letters to the churches of Revelation are classic examples of those. And today we're going to look at one of the more well-known churches um, because it contains some very famous phrases. And that's the the church in Laodicea. So we're going to hopefully learn some lessons from Laodicea. We'll begin by reading uh, what Jesus had to say to the church, uh, and then we'll unpack some things uh, um, and trust then we can work out some things from our own life from what Jesus addresses uh, to this church. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> it's what Jesus said. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your works, all that you do, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I, I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, destitute, blind, and naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become truly rich. Counsel you to buy from me white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And counsel you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes, so you can really see. Those whom I love, I rebuke, telling them their faults, and I discipline them. So be zealous and repent from your indifference. Here I am. I'm standing at the door and knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Powerful stuff. Um, let me give you some background, which will help us uh, understand why Jesus mentions certain things. Um, Laodicea, of course, is near Colossae, and it was mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. Laodicea was a very wealthy city, financially. It was an important financial and banking center for the entire region of the Roman Empire. It was, had a massive textile industry, which produced high-quality white garments from textiles made from a special sheep. It also was known for its fantastic medical facilities and was famous for its ointments, um, specifically a, a salve for eye problems. Now, God is not against those things. God is not against business. God is, God is not against banking or textiles or medical facilities in any way, shape or form. Let's clear that right out. God's not against those things. And in fact, the church 
was filled with people who had grown prosperous on those three aspects of the city's wealth. Nothing wrong in that at all. They're quite legitimate. The problem was that these things had become the focus and the energy and the driving force of people in the church. That was what they focused on and what made them wealthy. And in, in that way then, as Jesus said, they had become self-satisfied. They had become self-sufficient. It's what they increasingly then poured their enthusiasm and their energy into, into their business, into their work, into their financial success, and enjoying the, the fruits of their financial success. Problem was, that's what they had come to pride themselves on. That's what they were known for. And so we have here people of God, love Jesus. They are Christians going through the motions. But they were a people who had grown content. Nothing wrong with being content, but there was a contentment within themselves they had become self-satisfied. They were comfortable and respectable. And when they transferred that then into their Christian life, they thought then that what they did for the Lord, apart from that, was acceptable and sufficient. They had their life, they had their business, they had their success, and they were Christians. And the two were kind of separated and the energy was poured into the former. And so they were self-reliant people. They were self-satisfied people. What that produces then is a people with no challenges. A church that becomes at ease with itself. No financial pressures. There'll be no pressures of food. It was, everything was just ticking along and they were, they were very happy. A church that was doing things for the Lord. Yes, they were Christians, but really it was going nowhere fast because their whole sense of value and reality was skewed. That was the fundamental problem. The whole sense of value, reality, priority was skewed. They were a church that were no longer dependent on or focused on Jesus, if, if you can say this. They didn't really need him. <laughs> they were doing quite well. Even of course, though, it was he that gave them the ability to make the wealth. It had become the source of their life. Uh, and that's why Jesus says, I need, I need to do something about this. And so, verse 14, it says, he said, calls himself the Amen. And this, I guess, is one of the, the practical things. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He reminds them of who they're dealing with. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we're dealing with. That's an important fundamental aspect that I find in my own life. That's been coming again in the last 18 months or so, who is it that I serve? I serve the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And that applies specifically when his appraisal and his assessment about the state of things in my life, that's how it is. <laughs> There's no debate or argument, and believe me, there have been times in my life when I've tried to justify things when the Lord has put his finger on things. Um, and he says, Rog, this is the way it is. And I said, well, Lord, you know, and if only you understood. And I said, I think I do, he says. He says, this is how it really is. I love it that Jesus puts his finger on and says, I want to tell you how it really is. He does it when it's well as well, doesn't he? He says, when things are going great, we might think, oh, it's not going so great. No, he says, let me tell you how it really is. Everything is good. I'm for you. And then he calls himself the Amen. And the Amen is a word of agreement. So he says, really, Laodiceans, Roger, you need to agree with this. You need to agree with me. Because this is the way it is. If we're going to remedy this situation, if we're going to come into some sense of reality, you have to agree with what I'm saying. Now, that is a fundamental and very important priority and principle in our lives as Christians. That when Jesus says, this is how it is, that's how it is. And I found in my life, I've been a Christian 55 years now, the sooner I accept in a situation or just generally that Jesus is the Lord of my life and I acknowledge his appraisal of things, the better it will be for me. It may not be comfortable, it, might, it will mean change, but um, the better it will be in the long term for me. Notice then what he says in verses 15 and 16. He says, I, I know your works, I know all you do, and all that you supposedly do in my name and for me. And then he says this, but um, your works make me want to vomit, to be sick, to spew you out of my mouth. They mean nothing to me. Now, whichever way you, you put it, that's extreme language and an extreme response from Jesus. It's a real slap in the face, but that's what they needed. They were ticking along and all of a sudden Jesus comes along and he says, I want to tell you something. Um, if I can use the vernacular, you make me sick to my stomach. I think, what? Lord, how? <laughs> Imagine belonging to a church or being a person and God says that to you because that's what he said to them. And he says, why? He says, because you're neither hot nor cold. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold. And he says, I wish you were passionate. I wish you were zealous for me. He brings it back to me. Now, let's dispel a notion. Sometimes when we talk about, I wish you were hot or cold, people say, I wish you were hot for God or really cold away from God. It doesn't mean that at all. God is not saying, I wish you were away from me. Um, the only time uh, such a condition is described as cold is really in Matthew 24, where Jesus says the love of many will grow cold. It'll grow cold. He's using a different analogy. But uh, usually in the scriptures, distance from God is described as hard-heartedness or stubbornness, sinfulness, rebellion, or callousness, or unbelieving, or as in this case, indifference, apathetic. That's what they were so Jesus' issue with the church was that they were indifferent. They were lukewarm. They were apathetic. 
Um, it's a bit like, um, it, we've all done it, I'm sure. You know, you, you, you might have left a, a drink, a, a, a bottle in the car and you, when it was lovely and cold and, and then you get in some time later and you think, oh, I'm thirsty and you, and you take a sip. Uh, this one's fresh, it's okay, I just poured it. But um, you think, ah, oh, it's, it's not cold, it's not hot. It's lukewarm, and you kind of think the only reason I'm drinking this is because I'm thirsty. Or you have a cup of tea or coffee that's that's gone off, uh, and it's not it's not gone cold, and you may have had a phone call or something, and you pick it up and it's lukewarm, and you think, oh, I can't finish that. That's what it, that's what it, it's that taste uh, that Jesus is talking about. He says, because you're lukewarm, you towards me. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He said, that's unacceptable to me, Roger. He says, you're neither one thing or the other. You're indifferent. See, he said, Roger, you can become interested in, in only those things uh, that are your little world, your own plans, your own ambitions, um, what you want to do with your life. You've gone off the boil. And that's possible for us as Christians to go off the boil for many, many different reasons. And you have to apply that in your own life as I have to apply that in mine. Uh, and that's why Jesus gives them such a strong response. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It, it can't stay that way, Roger. Uh, and I can say to him, hey, hey Jesus, uh, lighten up. You know, I thought it was all about me. I thought you were here to help me. I thought you were here, you know, just to give me success. And well, when I need you, I'll call on you. You're making me uncomfortable. I don't like it. Go easy. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And there's a lot of teaching around today that, you know, Jesus is just here to be some kind of guru or life coach. Now, he loves me and he'll tell that to us in a moment. But he's the Lord. And that's why... For them, he addresses specific things. He says, you say, I'm rich, the finance. I'm prosperous. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. Everything is okay. But Jesus says, no, you're going through the motions. You're not serious about me. You're living naturally. And if there's one or two things I've learned in the 55 years since I've known Jesus is that he sometimes will remind me that back in 1966, I surrendered my life to him. We used to say, I gave my life to Jesus. Well, it was his anyway, really. But, you know, uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, he actually took it. <laughs> and um, I took him at his word, and he took me at my word. And that's what I live in in the reality of all these years later, I gave him my life. And he says, thank you, I'll take it. Uh, and that's why Jesus says to them, now let, let's, let's deal with it. You're wretched, he says, you're pitiful. And then he, he mentions these three things that they, they've built on. He says, you're destitute, the financial uh, banking situation that they had. He said, actually, you, you may have a lot of money, you may be very wealthy, but spiritually, you're destitute, so buy from me gold. Uh, and then he says, uh, you're actually blind. So he hits the ointment. He says, uh, don't pour your energy into that. You need to buy from me ointment. So you can really see, you can really perceive, you can really understand the spiritual realities. 
And he says, buy from me white garments because you're naked. So he hits the, the garment textile industry. So he hits the three issues of finance, the, the I-salve, and the, the garment industry. And he says, really, uh, he talks about it. He says, you've got to come back to me. Okay, he's not saying you literally need to buy from me. He's saying, you've got to come back to me. So Jesus addressed the three areas of their apparent strength, what they pour their energies into, and what they drew their life from. And he says, there's a remedy. I'm not saying you have to give those things up, he says. Don't, I'm not saying you to leave your business or to stop that or to do this. He says, but it's turning your priority. He says, the remedy is turn away from your self-reliance and your indifference and become zealous for me and my house. And that reminds me of what Jesus did and said in John chapter 2. Remember talking about zeal? Where he went into the temple and he found um, the money changers and the cattle and the sheep and the doves and they were, they were running a business. What happened there was they'd taken the necessary things or the things necessary for their worship and sacrifice where they had to change the money and they had to use these animals for sacrifice, but they made them the focus. Now, that's, that's a thing that you can find even in church life. The things, the things of church can become the priority. So it's not just material things. Things can become the priority. And Jesus says, don't let things, don't let anything become the priority. It's zeal for me. Zeal means passion. What am I excited about? What turns me on? What gets me up in the morning? Um, what brightens me? What, what do I give my life for? And he says, Roger, change your focus then and channel your energy accordingly. So he says, now counsel me. I counsel you. And I love it because in verse 19, he says, I want to remind you, those whom I love. See, Jesus isn't speaking because he hates us. He loves us. And he speaks to me as one who loves me. He talks straight. I'm so grateful that I have people in my life, especially my wife, Diane, and other friends who, loves me, who love me so much that they talk to me straight. They really tell me like it is. And Jesus speaks to us like that because he loves us. He does rebuke us. He does discipline us. The love of God is tough love sometimes. But behind it is God loves you. And he speaks to me like that when he has to address things in my life because he has hope for me. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. He wants me and you to have a future that is worth something not only to me, but to him. He paid a massive price for us. And he says, I, I want you to have the hope and a future. But that includes or is encompassed in the fact that your future is worth something to God. And that's why Jesus says, and I love this, and evangelists love this verse, don't they? He says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. And as much as it's used for evangelism, he's actually speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the church. Uh, and the, the sad thing is that Jesus was actually outside the church, and no one knew it. 
He's outside knocking and he's speaking to them. And he says, listen, I, I know I'm in your life, but I'm outside of your life. I'm not in your life. And he says, but I'm, I'm knocking. That's, that's, a, that's a positive thing. I'm knocking. I haven't got away. I'm, I'm knocking. What's that song? Someone's knocking at the door. I'm knocking. He said, I'm giving you an invitation. He says, I'm not the God of the second chances. I'm giving me an invitation. And he says, no, if anyone, any one of you. I love that because it's not, saying, it's not if the elders or the leaders or the deacons or the ministries or the worship leaders or the children's ministry. He says, if anyone, any one of you, anyone, anyone who's here, if anyone is listening to me right now and you open the door of your life, that's all I need. I just want a heart. I want a, I want a, I want a door to walk through. And he says, if any one of you lets me into your life, I'll come in and we will eat together. I love that. We're going to sit down and we're going to eat together. That's fellowship. That's intimacy. That's communion. That's fellowship. That's, that's relationship. He says, your life will change. I always, uh, and bless me if you ever read, take time to read in the Gospels, when Jesus sat down to eat with people, their lives were different. Their lives were transformed, weren't they? And that's what he's saying. I want to come in. I'm going, I want to sit with you. Now, he says, where am I going to sit? Uh, it's interesting. It's funny. We, in our family, we have what is called poppies. I'm poppy to my grandchildren. And we have poppy's chair at the, at the table. And one of my grandchildren, my, my second granddaughter, she comes in and she's six now. And she always says, poppy, can I sit in your chair? And I said, of course she can. So the only rule is I have to sit there on Christmas Day. But other times I let her sit there. But uh, Jesus comes in, he says, um, we'll sit. But uh, this is why he said this. To him who overcomes, you'll sit with me on my throne. You'll rule and reign with me. That means I will exercise my kingdom, rule and reign through anyone who hears my voice. And that's a wonderful thing. Instead of being vomit in Jesus' mouth, I can become the instrument of his rule and his reign. And so my question to me is, do I want to reign with Christ in the heavenly realms? Do I want to be useful to him? Just sit with him on his throne. Then first, if I must allow him when he comes in to eat with me, to sit continually in Poppy's chair, to sit on the throne of my heart as my Lord and King. Then all the practical things that work out from that, and you can do that in your own life. So my hope is that you hear his voice. And uh, if there are adjustments, if there are faults, if, if there are things that need to change, don't go looking for things that aren't there. But if there are, just let the Lord in, let him take his rightful place, and things will change because God has hope for you, he loves you, and he has a wonderful future. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, I pray God bless you and give you every success and keep listening to his voice and let him in. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. 
Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.